all the, uh, all the houses you're going to see in these pictures might look like they were built in the 40s or 50s, but all of them are five years old or less. It's called new urbanism. It's a, a real estate planning and development model that has swept the nation, literally in, in cities and communities all across the nation, these new urban communities are being built. And they're intentionally designed to look like they were built in the 40s and 50s. Um, when all the houses have front porches, they all have smaller yards closer to the street and the, and the sidewalk. It's intended to promote the, the feeling of times gone by when people would sit out on the porch and greet their neighbors as they, as they passed by. The fences are, are picket fences, white picket fences about waist high. So not, not privacy fences so, that, so you can't hide from your neighbor. So if you don't have the curtains pulled tight, and you like walking around in your SpongeBob boxers, the whole neighborhood is going to know. If you're in the backyard, you're on public display for all of, the, all of the neighbors nearby. Now, new urbanism has some solid philosophical underpinnings. The architects of it understand that people in our world feel disconnected. They feel detached from one another. So many people feel like they don't know anybody and that, that nobody really knows them. Some people have moved so much, they don't really know where home is. They don't live near families. They know that the, the pace of life pretty much keeps us to shallow, superficial kind of relationships. What the architects of new urbanism understand is that people long for community. That they, they long for a place where people can truly be neighbors again. But here's the issue. It takes more than front porches and a picket fence to make a neighbor. According to the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus walked through the neighborhoods. In Matthew 9, we're told that he went to the towns and the villages around the Sea of Galilee. And Matthew says that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. See, when Jesus looked at the neighborhood, he looked beneath the surface. He looked deep into people's lives, and he saw the pain and the confusion. He saw the, the disease and the trouble, the heartaches and the sadness. He saw the chains of brokenness and addiction. He saw people who were wandering, who were drifting, and because of that, they were in danger. He said, they're, they're sheep without a shepherd. They're unprotected. They're unguided. They're kind of on their own out here. And Jesus knew. He saw their need for a God who would guide them and protect them and provide for them. And it says, Jesus had compassion. Now, that's an interesting word in the original language because it literally means intestines. So how do we get compassion from that? It was a feeling that was deep in his gut. It was something that he didn't just think about, that it wasn't superficial with him. It was something that came from deep within, this feeling that he had, this compassion that he had for people. And he did something about it. He acted on it. He healed. He fed. He, he, he taught people how to live free of the chains that bind us. He taught how to live in God's kingdom. And this is important for us to know. God's kingdom is not a physical location. 
God's kingdom is wherever God's will and God's ways are in operation. So Jesus said, you can live in that kingdom. So what do we see when we look at the people that, that we live around, that we work around, that we go to school with, that we see when we're out and about during our day? Maybe we just see people who come and go. You know, We exchange hellos. Or maybe you're what you know, I grew up calling nodding acquaintances. You got nodding acquaintances? You don't really know them, but you know that you've seen them. And you know that they've seen you, so you kind of give them one of these. You know? You know what I love about living in a, a rural community? The one finger wave. No, not the one you're thinking about. <laughs> but where somebody's driving down the road and they do this when you pass them. I love that. The one finger wave. Maybe they're just people we make small talk with. Don't talk about anything in particular, you know, it's how's you, we're fine, how about this weather, how about the weather we had 30 minutes ago because it was different. <laughs> Maybe we just see nice people who drive nice cars, live in nice houses, nice neighborhoods. They're, they appear to have nice families, nice friends, they're just nice as they can be. And the thing is, they look like everything's fine, that everything is all together, that they really don't need anything. That's the game. The truth is that we really don't think about other people all that much, right? Because we're preoccupied with something. Us. Our stuff, right? I mean, sure, there are times when I, when I think about other people, because sometimes people bug me. You know, they don't drive right. You know that everybody who drives slower than you is a moron. Everybody who drives faster than you is an idiot. The way you drive and the speed you drive is exactly right. They, they, cut, they, they get in the 12 items or less line with 13 items. I can't handle that. They just do things that I think are stupid or things that make me want to avoid them. Sometimes I wish Jesus had not said that the two greatest commandments are love God and love people. I mean, there are times when I think it would have been really great if Jesus had said, hey, here it is, love God and love your dogs. That would have just been great, right? People are too complicated. Don't worry about them. Just love God and love your pets. That's all you've got to do, but that's not what he said. He said, love people, love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Treat people as we treat ourselves. Care for people. Take care of people the way that we take care of ourselves. And that's important because Jesus sees beneath the surface. So what if we saw those people we're around every day, not just on the surface, but underneath it, beneath the, the pretense that says, I've got it all together, what if we looked through the eyes of Jesus? Well, think about it statistically. Nearly 50% of people spend more than they earn. Even in a down economy, people are continuing to rack up personal debt, financial burdens that will weigh them down with worry for years. In any given year, 
half the number of new marriages will end in divorce. Half of that number will end in divorce. Sometimes you hear that said inaccurately that half of all marriages end in divorce. That's not true. It never has been true. But in, in any given year, let's just take a round number like 100. If there are 100 marriages, there will be 50 divorces in that same year. And I'm telling you, as a child of divorce, the pain, and I was an adult child. I was 20 years old when my parents divorced. But the pain and the struggle goes on for years and years. And not just for the children, for the adults involved as well. 25% of, of women are sexually abused before they reach age 18. And they will deal with that. They will try to cope with that for the rest of their lives in all different kinds of ways. And very often they'll find themselves in relationships that they don't need to be in. Relationships that will leave them isolated and feeling alone. 25% of people will have a sexually transmitted disease by age 40. And yet they'll continue to be sexually active because that's what everybody's doing. You want a number that will blow you away? 40% of people under age 40 are chained to some addictive substance, struggling to get free, hoping against hope that they can be free. 33% of women in our nation have had an abortion. And they struggle for years, many of them do, with remorse and guilt and pain and questions. And can I just tell you this? Those women don't need a picket sign. You hear me? They don't need anybody chaining themselves to any clinics. They need people who are going to offer hope and love and forgiveness that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't need a protest movement. He needs a love movement for people who've been hurt. By their own choice, sure. But the hurt and the pain is real. That was free. 50% of men, 33% of women will likely get some form of cancer over their lifetime. And 25% of the people that we encounter every day would tell us that they have no close friends. Zero. Nobody they can talk to. Nobody they can talk things over with. Nobody they really feel cares about them. And folks, we're just scratching the surface with these statistics. You know, when you, the statistics like these, we've got to remember every number is a person. And so what this means is that every person we lock eyes with is struggling with something or has struggled with something or soon will struggle with something. That's, that's life, folks. We either are headed into a struggle, going through a struggle, or coming out of a struggle. And it's everybody we meet. So where? Where are God's people who are going to see with Jesus' eyes, who are going to look beneath the surface? Beneath the surface where there's a, a very broken, messed up world. That's what Jesus sees. And it moves him with compassion. Now make sure you note that. It does not move him with revulsion. It does not move him to disgust. It does not move him to reject. It does not move him to wash his hands and say, that's it, I'm done. They had their chance. It moves him to feel in his gut a compassion. 
for hurting and needy people. The Bible says God came near. He came near. He came here. He entered our mess in the form of Jesus Christ and demonstrated who he was and the, and the compassion that he had for a needy world. He put on a human body and he stepped into this wreck. And when he was here, he did something about it. You know, when Jesus began to preach, you know what his message was? The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of God has come near. And I want to tell you that when God's kingdom When God's will and God's ways come near, things change. People are cared for. They're clothed. They're fed. Their needs are met. They're healed. They're set free. Well, that was great when Jesus was here. I mean, I understand that. God, as much as we can wrap our finite minds around incarnation, God was here in human form. But what about now? What's God doing now? Well, he still has that compassion. And he has a plan. And you want to know what? God still has a body on earth to meet the needs of people. God still has a body on earth to meet the spiritual and physical needs of people. We have always been God's plan to meet needs. You know, the truth is, we cause most of our own problems. I mean, it's popular today to be the victim and to blame everybody else, and everything's somebody else's fault, it's somebody else's fault I'm this way. But the truth is, we cause most of our own problems. And we do it by drawing a little circle around us, a little ring around us, and then we spend our lives playing Lord of the Ring. I'm in charge here! And so what happens? Is that we we live out our life by our own individual kingdom rules. So does everybody else. And the result is is a world of little kingdoms that are at war with each other, trying to control each other, trying to dominate each other and conquer each other. But God reverses that. He turns that around one life at a time through willing people. God has a plan. He has a plan to overthrow the kingdoms of this world. And I'm not just talking about big kingdoms and governments. I'm talking about those little kingdoms that we live in as Lord of our own reign. God wants to turn those over because they keep us apart. They keep us isolated and alone. They keep us hurting and hating and and they blow up families and they imprison people in addictions and they, they lock us in behind the bars of fear and they destroy us through poverty and, and greed and injustice. And God's plan is to do something about all of that through you and you and you and me. That's one body. As the body. That's God's dream. And that's a God-sized dream. You know how you can tell a God-sized dream? Because we can't do it. We can't make it happen. We need God to make it happen. And we need each other. Romans 12 gives us a pretty clear picture of that. You want to turn over there in your Bibles if you have one with you this morning. I'm going to put all the scriptures up on the screen and we're going to be bouncing around a little bit. But In Romans 12, verses 4 through 6, it says, In His grace... I'm sorry, let me back up to verse 4. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. 
we are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. What God wants is nothing less than to represent Himself through you and me together, functioning as His body, using all of our gifts and all of our experiences and all of our uh, abilities and all of our passions and our life story. Because what God is doing, He's creating something new. He's creating a new family. He's creating a, a new community. He's creating a body that He can work through to turn around isolation and alienation. And it's a new community that we started out a few weeks ago saying it starts with grace. It's come as you are because that's where God starts with every one of us, as is. And through the sacrifice of Christ and our, our faith in Him, we can be set free from the fear of judgment and condemnation so that we can offer grace to other people. And then that frees us up to be an authentic community, a community that says no perfect people allowed because there are no perfect people. And we can be real with one another. We can be real about our struggles and our sins and our doubts so that we walk together. And then in that environment, in that, in that grace culture, we can be intentional about growth. That means we don't have to stay as is. Hey, come as you are, but you don't have to stay that way. Let's do life together. Life with God so that we can grow and mature. But here's the deal. It's not all about us. It's just not about us. See, God cares for the people that we, that we live with and we live around and that we work with and that we go to school with, people that we interact with on a daily basis, people who have real needs, spiritual and physical needs. And God wants us to be the body. He's looking for a responsive, connected community that He can live in and through to meet the needs of people, to show the world what He is like. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 15, 15 and 16. We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And folks, I'm just not sure that we realize how radical that is. How incredible that is that 2,000 years ago, God revealed himself in a human body through his son, Jesus Christ. And then Jesus went out preaching, the kingdom of God has come near. And wherever Jesus went, he met needs. He met spiritual, physical, emotional needs through the power of God. And God still has a body on this earth representing himself. It's you and me. And one of the signs that we are growing and maturing is that together, as one unified body, through His Spirit, we're doing what Jesus would do, demonstrating His love and His care for the world. But it only happens when we are willing. Think about it. 
God wants us to, to be an in, interdependent part of his body. He wants us to be connected to the people that are sitting around us now, the people that were here in the first service. But it won't happen without our willingness. So how do we change? I think it starts with a simple prayer. I think it starts by saying, God, I want to see with your eyes. A few weeks ago, we talked about asking God to, to, to let us have his heart, to give us his heart for lost people. Now we're talking about praying, seeing through his eyes. Because every day we're around people who have spiritual needs, physical needs that God wants to meet. And too often we pass them right by because we won't look below the surface. But if we'll pray for God to give us his eyes of compassion, to allow us to see, he will show us. All of us, every single person sitting in this room has five to ten people that we interact with all the time. Whether it's where we work or the sports that our kids are involved in or in our neighborhoods or our schools. Five to ten people we interact with all the time. And guess what? They've got needs, spiritual needs, physical needs. And, and we're unaware of them because... We've been taught not to share stuff, right? Not to reveal. We've been taught to suck it up. Nobody cares. And these five to ten people may not be part of any church. They may be far, far away from God. They may be skeptics or atheists. But if we will begin praying for them, God will show us how he wants to demonstrate compassion for them. Will you do that? Will you begin to pray for those people. Get yourself a piece of paper. You don't have to do this right now. But get a piece of paper and write down those five to ten names and start praying. I'm, understand, I'm talking about people we already know and interact with. I'm not sending you to talk to strangers, okay? I'm not sending you out door to, to go knocking on doors, door to door. And I'm sure not sending you to the campus at Purdue with a bullhorn to preach at people from a sidewalk somewhere. I'm sending you to people you already know and interact with and just begin to pray and say, God, I want to see them with your eyes. I want to see her with your eyes, God. I want to see him with your eyes. Start praying for them and, and watch what God will show you about their need. Well, here's another problem that keeps us from being the body. Sometimes we're overwhelmed. Sometimes we're just overwhelmed by the needs of others. I mean, the breadth, the depth of people's needs just overwhelms us. And, and you know, we, we, we hear this voice in our head that says, well, you can't fix all this. You can't do anything about that. Uh, you know, they'll think you're a freak if you offer to help. And we tell ourselves... I'm just one person. I can't solve the world's problems. I, I don't know how to help a struggling single mom. I, I can't fix an addict. I don't know how to counsel a depressed person. I can't, you know, pull someone up out of financial crisis. I can't get rid of poverty and injustice by myself. I, I don't know how to answer people's spiritual questions or, or how to give them hope. Well, here's what we have to remember. This is so important. We're not alone in this. We're not alone. If we've opened our hearts to receive God's grace through Christ, the Bible says He is with us always. We're not alone. He's the head of the body. We're just the, the hands reaching out. 
And think about it. Every living body I've ever seen, you know, has a head attached. Right? I've never seen a body go somewhere without the head attached. He's the head of the body. We're the hands reaching out. And what we have to do is be willing to reach out and to say to God, God, I'll reach out with your hands. We can't do it all. But we can do something. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, God calls to his people. And you want to talk about a mess. Read through the book of Isaiah and see what kind of world God's people were involved in. See what the condition of their lives was. And yet in the midst of that, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, God calls them to do this. He says, learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. He said that to messed up people in a messed up society, folks. I think he's saying the same thing to us today. We don't have to figure everything out. We don't have to meet everybody's needs. We can't. But if we will be willing, if we will be the willing hands responding to the head of the body, then the greatest mind in the universe will coordinate all the rest. Think about that. Einstein's theory of relativity. I know you were just, that just came to your mind when I was preaching just a moment ago. Einstein's theory of relativity can explain an awful lot about the phenomenon of our, our stars and our, our galaxies and our universe. And quantum physics. Quantum physics can help us understand and even predict what happens in subatomic particles. But here's the deal. Quantum physics and relativity don't fit together. They don't work together. And nobody knows why. The best scientific minds of the last 30 years have not been able to explain why that's the case. Now, they've come up with something called string theory that they think might be able to, to resolve the problems. But the truth is, it, it hasn't yet. And again, our greatest scientific minds have been studying this thing for years, and they don't have an answer. I think about this. You and I are connected to the mind who understands it all who can put it all together. God knows it all because he created it all. He created what they're just now beginning to discover. I got news for you. They're not ever going to discover the answer. Not as long, not on this side of glory anyway. But here's the thing. God says it's not about quantum theory or super string theory. Or silly string theory. It's about loving me and loving people. It's about loving God and loving people. And we don't have to figure it all out. We don't have to figure it all out. We just reach out with his hands and he will figure out the way to do the rest. God wants to meet spiritual needs through our willingness. Through our willingness. Not through our availability. Not even through our ability. Not through our knowledge. Through our willingness to be used by Him. God wants us to tell people about the hope we've found. In our relationship with Him, we have this hope. And He says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, if somebody asks you about that, if they ask you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But... 
do this in a gentle and respectful way. Boy, that's important. You ought to underline that. Do it in a gentle and respectful way. See, if we found hope, we can tell somebody else about that. That's like somebody said, it's one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. And if we found hope, then we point others to that source of hope, to the one who gives us hope. And if they're hungry, they'll eat. And if they're not, we respect them. We don't belittle them. We don't bully them. We don't write them off. And folks, if we will be a church living together in this new way with each other, showing compassion for other people in tangible ways, being willing to tell them about the hope that we found in Jesus with gentleness and respect, many, many, many people will find grace and hope and freedom right here. So will you do that? Will you, will you pray, God, I want to see with your eyes. I want to reach out with your hands. Think about those five to ten people. Again, people you interact with already. Co-workers, neighbors, fellow students, people that you interact with just when you're out and about running your daily errands. Will you pray for their, for their needs, for their physical and spiritual needs? And then will you be willing to, to reach out and do what you can do? We're not alone. We're connected to the greatest mind in the universe and we don't have to have all the gifts. We don't have to have all the abilities or all the answers because we're connected to a body. Don't ever forget that. And don't ever forget this. You can't be the body alone. You can't be the body alone. You know, Paul expressed this um, using body language quite a lot. And uh, it was a very apt description, but I think there were some parts of it that maybe they don't seem that humorous to us, but I think they cracked people up in his day. When Paul would say something to people, like he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 21, when he would say, the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care is given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with us, with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you, together, are Christ's body. And each of you is a part of it. So my goodness, what's all that about honor and dignity and all of that? You know what that is? That means that those of us who are stronger take care of those of us who are weaker. That we help bring everybody along on this journey even though we're at different places, even though we're facing different things. We walk together as a body because we're all heading to the same place. We've all got the same goal. And what God wants is for us not to see ourselves as independent, isolated, kingdoms of self-will, little kingdoms, but as uniquely gifted, interdependent, interconnected parts of His body. Listen, sin is always rooted in self-centeredness. Always. Sin is just selfish. 
Selfishness. That's what it is. And it, and it destroys the body. It makes us think that, hey, I'm better than they are. And so we look down on them or we think we don't need them. Or it can cause us to get preoccupied with the idea that, that we're not good enough. We never are going to be good enough. So we take ourselves out of the game. It causes us to fight and divide and destroy community. It's, this is when it's good to, be, uh, to, to watch House on TV. It's like an autoimmune disease where the body begins to attack and consume itself. You want to know where, you know those lists of sin in the New Testament? I don't know if they trouble you like they do me because I read those lists of sin and you see the usual suspects like murder, you know, and adultery, uh, you know, immorality. You see those in there, but also in that list, you see gossip and division and backbiting and complaining. That's pretty scary. You know why those are included? Those sins are included in those lists with those with the big boys, with the major sins? Because they destroy the body. They destroy the body and they keep us from trusting God and working together. We need each other to be the body. Hands are pretty doggone important. You know? But what if the hand decided, I am much more skilled and talented than any other part of the body? There's no other part of the body can do what I do. And so I don't think I need to be attached to the body anymore. Um, you know, the feet stink. And, you know, and you got these less honorable parts that you got to keep covered up. And um, it's slow. And so I'm going to cut myself off and, I, myself off, and I'm going to go form hand ministries. Well, what happens when you disconnect the hand from the body? It dies. It's not long before it will start to rot and decay to nothing because it cannot fulfill its function unless it's connected to the body. And let me tell you something else. The hand's got to be connected to the body. We can't connect ourselves directly to the head, right? I mean, that would make, among other things, playing the piano look pretty funny. <laughs> We've got to be... We can't be properly connected to the head unless we're properly connected to the body. We need each other to be the body. And here's why. This is big. When we start praying for people around us, and we start realizing that they're struggling with something that, that we don't feel equipped to deal with, that's when we remember that we're connected to a body. To other parts with gifts and skills and abilities and resources that we don't have. I, I may not know how to help somebody overcome an addiction, but I promise you, in a congregation the size of ours, there is somebody who's got a name or a contact or a system, or they, they know how to help somebody get into recovery or into a 12-step group. I just know that. We've got some, some recovering addicts here who can say, come with me. I can show you the way. See, I, I haven't been there, but I'm connected to a body. We may not understand how to, how to help um, a single mom in need, you know, kids and tons of bills and her husband's out of the picture. I, I may feel lost. I may struggle with how do I help this person, but guess what? 
We are connected to a body. We are connected to, in my experience over this last six years, a very loving, giving, generous body. And all we have to do is say, here is this person in need. And people will give clothing and they will give food and they will give furniture and they will give cash to help people. I also know this. There are people who have struggled through difficult financial times and and they've come out on the other side in pretty good shape and they could sit down with this person and say, okay, here's how you budget. You know, here's how you make sure what you have coming in it can, can, can go further and take care of the needs that you have. I know that we have that in this body. So when I don't know how to do it, I'm connected to the body. When I've got somebody and I don't know how to answer their spiritual questions, I don't know how to answer their objections to following Jesus, guess what? I'm connected to a body. And as I learn and grow and I just share more with them my story and what Jesus is doing in my life, that's going to open up doors of opportunities to connect them to this body where they can learn and grow. They come to church with you on Sunday morning. They come to a life group with you. See, when I don't know how to deal with it, when I can't fix their problem or their struggle, I'm connected to a body. And I want to tell you that the way that God will coordinate and use all of us together to show his compassion to people in need will blow our minds. But that's how God does his work. 273 days ago, I challenged this congregation to write down the names of people they knew who were far from God. People who needed to be saved, needed to place their faith in Christ. And I, and I ask you to do three things. I ask you to pray for them every day. I ask you to speak up about your faith whenever you have the opportunity. And I ask you to invite them to come with you to New Hope. And then I ask you to actually go another step further. To, to select one or two of those names that you really felt like God was, was putting you in their life. Orchestrating you, your involvement in their life to help bring them closer to Him. And we wrote those names down on sticky notes and we put them on the wall right up here. Now, they're not as many as there were 273 days ago because some of those folks have gotten saved and given their hearts and their lives to Jesus. And I'll tell you something else. Some of you are in here today because you were up there 273 days ago. This morning, I'm going to ask you to do something similar. I'm going to ask you to make your list of those five to ten people that you're already interacting with in some way. Make your list of those people and then select three of those people and send their name to me. Send those names to me. My email's in the bulletin every Sunday. It's right up there on the screen right now. Or if you don't have email, well, first of all, we need to do a clinic with you and bring you into 1995. Once we get you there, we'll work with you, but... If you don't have email, you can mail them to me. There we go. You send them to me by mail. And here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm committing to. I'm going to compile the names that you send me into a list, and I'm going to join you in praying for those people every day from now to the end of the year. We're going to pray for them to be saved. We're going to pray for them to take steps that move them closer to God. But we're also going to pray that they're their needs, their spiritual, their physical, their emotional needs are going to be met. And we're going to pray that God uses you to help meet some of those needs. That he involves you in their life. And I'm going to tell you, I, you know what? I don't, have any, I don't have a special red phone with a hotline you know, to, to heaven. I, I don't have a direct prayer connection. I don't have anything you don't have. 
But there's power in partnership. There's power in agreeing together to pray for those people whose names you're going to send me. And I think that over the next 90 days, we will be blown away by what God will do in their lives and what he will do in us when we make ourselves available. When we begin to pray, God, I want to see with your eyes. I want to reach out with your hand and I want to be the body. And I'm going to do all I can, God. But I'm also going to connect people to other parts of the body so that you can do your work through all of us. And so I'm going to close this message in this series with the same question I've been asking now for four weeks. Will you help us build a culture of grace in this church? Will you help us build a come-as-you-are community that provides to every person who walks through those doors the opportunity to grow and to become all that God wants them to be? Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes.